0: You're listening to Arc Radio podcast. A very interesting topic. I brought it on myself, really, to be honest. Um, for years, the topic is kind of, and as this is totally personal, not not in any way taking it away from anyone. It's a topic that's always kind of I've thought about a lot and um, wanted to do some research and find out a bit more about. Um, and there's so much about it that you know that we know about, we hear about. But sometimes it's in dribs and drabs it's not really one big you know con- compact or some what would you call it a sort of togetherness of all this entire story um and obviously at the same time though you know we've got to say that you know we know that there's 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 persuasions towards the story and various other things as well but again you know it's important that we kind of look at this story um and it's in, 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 a, in a good un- in, a, in, our, in one of the understandings that there's many out there of. And I'm not saying this is the perfect one or the right one, um, nor are we here to say that we are better or they are better or we're not accusing they and us. It's nothing like that at all. This is, as I said, it's for me to clarify myself before you guys. Trust me. As I said, it's something that I've always wanted to do to find out exactly what this topic is all about. Now, obviously, we're in this Blessed Month of Muharram. It's a sacred month, no doubt about it. Um, it's absolutely sacred because it's amongst the four sacred months that Allah mentions in the Quran, and this is one of them. <coughs> Um, the two previous months that passed, Dur-Qa'dah, Dur-Hijjah and Muharram, then the month of Rajab, which stands alone as the fourth sacred month. And in this, obviously, we believe that we have one of the most blessed days in this month as well, which is Yom Ashura, the 10th of al hijjah which is the day, as we know, that... Um, as, as 10th of Muharram, sorry, I'm going back a month. 10th of Muharram, which is a month where we know that this is where the Prophet, وسلم, when he entered into Medina, um, we know that Medina was made up of different people like the Alsa and the, 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 the Khajr, the two big tribes at the time also with um, people from the Jewish faith who lived in Medina at the time and on the 10th of Muharram, they were fasting on this particular day and when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi asked them why do you fast on this day? they said this is the day that we were freed from the, the, the slavehood of, um, of Pharaoh our people were slaved on this day and we celebrate it by, by uh, fasting on this day and the Prophet وسلم, you know, acknowledged that, he accepted that. And he replied عليه, that we have more right on Musa than you have. Because you know that the Prophet Musa وسلم, is a Prophet that's mentioned in the Quran more than any other Prophet, more than our own Prophet, وسلم, so to speak. He's mentioned so much we know for his birth the situation that he was, as soon as he was born, what happened in the area. Um, growing up in the palace of Pharaoh, then leaving the palace of Pharaoh and doing what he did. and everything. We know so much about Musa. <laughs> so, when it came to that, it was a case of whereby we have more, you know, the Prophet said we have more right to him than that. And so he said, We'll fast this day, but then we'll fast a day with it to make that distinction between us and people of other faiths that we're fasting this day of Ashura along with it another day, i.e., the day before it or day after it. Now, obviously, that is very significant because the day of Ashura also they say there's many other blessed, th- blessed things happened. For example, this is the day that um, Adam met Hawar. This is the day that Eunice was thrown out the well of, the, stom- well of the, uh, the stomach of the whale. Um, this is the day that Ibrahim was saved from the fire. So, there's a lot of other things about this blessed day of 10th of Muharram. But more so, obviously, something that we sort of see more often. And we're aware of as well is that this is also the day that we know that the grandson of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, Imam Hussain عنه, was, was martyred on this day, was killed on this day. And that is the day that you know people people within the Islamic faith are must say and out with the Islamic faith acknowledge this day. Because um, Imam was saying that, that that particular battle, what happened is very important that we, we understand and we learn what happened during that time. And as I said, for years, that's kind of something that's always been sitting in the back of my head in regards to getting a better perspective of it. So over the last few weeks, in fact, months probably, I've been kind of listening to lectures here and there, picking up some books and finding out a wee bit more. So I've kind of put it together, hopefully, and do forgive me if I've done anything wrong. And as I said, we're not here to offend anybody we're not here to say you're right or we're right and you're wrong or vice versa not at all here are some of the facts that I A'lam, have collected you don't have to take what I say but this is what I have collected certainly um, from some some, some some of the some of the scholars that we, we that have taken taken from now first of all the people of the house of the Prophet وسلم, Imam Hasan and Imam Hussain what can we say about Allah what can we say about these two people no doubt no doubt no doubt no doubt that they are probably the most beloved people to the Prophet more than his own children. We know that in many, many examples when the Prophet Wasallam once was given a khutbah in the masjid, and he saw Imam Hussein coming in from the house, and he was he was a toddler at the time. He came in, and he, you know how toddlers walk and they kind of run and they tumble over. The Prophet stopped his khutbah and went down, and picked him up, kissed him, and brought him to the member with him. What a scene. What a scene. You know, he picked up his own grandson, kissed him and brought him up to the member with him. He changed his khutbah and he said how children are fitna. <laughs> how children can be a distraction to you and the good that you are. Then it can be a distraction. The prophet didn't have his own children, sons. He certainly had daughters but he didn't have These were the two, two people that he loved so much. With Imam Hussein, he said he's from me and I am from him. I mean we are the same. There's no difference. You can't separate the two. Imam Hussein was the one who looked radiallahu, and was the one in, in appearance the closest to the Prophet Sallallahu After the Prophet passed away, people used to just go to Imam Hussein just to look at him. Just to remind them of the Prophet wa sallam, because he was so close to his granddad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in terms of appearance. He said that your house Meaning Imam Hussein and Imam Hassan is opposite my house in Jannah. We'll be neighbors across the road from each other. The Prophet never let them farm this dunya, he's not gonna let them farm the hereafter. He said you're gonna be the you're gonna be the chief of the children or, or the youth of paradise, the leader of par, the leader for the youth of paradise. The, like we have her, their mother, Fatima to Zahra radiallahu anha. Who That she'll be the woman who will be leading the women into paradise The same with the children of Fatima That these two boys will be the ones who lead the youth into paradise Um, In one story in Medina The Prophet came out of his house And as he came out of his house He was wearing a black cloak And um, when he was wearing the black cloak Imam Hassan ran over The child ran over And got in amongst The Prophet Sallallahu Entered into the cloak Imam Hussein came out Likewise He ran He <laughs> ran under the cloak of the Prophet Sallallahu Fatima came out Radiallahu Anha She saw that I'm going too And she ran under the cloak of the Prophet Sallallahu Ali came out Radiallahu anhu. And he ran and he ran under the cloak of the Prophet. Again, what, what, what? This is the family, the true family of the Prophet. And he said, <coughs> Allah wants to cleanse you from impurities, O Ahlul Bayt. That Allah purifies these people and who they are. Imam Hassan, as you know, was, um, was, khila, was Khalifa after his father passed away for six months. But he resigned from his khilafah and gave it to Muawiyah. Radiallahu anh, and we'll be talking about that. Um, and obviously, as we know, that after Uthman ibn Affan, radiallahu anh, or during his khilafah, that's where what we call the fitna kind of began. Um, I'm going to kind of lesson at the same time, if you don't mind, I'm going to draw a timeline. Quickly, just to give you an idea, the Prophet died in 632. This is. Um, our calendar uh, 2007, 2017, to that, which was 10 years after Hijrah, I'll put that both in as well. As you know, Abu Bakr, these are all the time that they passed away. Abu Bakr passed away two years, two years later, so 634, and that was about 12 years after Hijrah. The next Khalifa was Omar. Um, he passed away in the year 644. So Omar had the decent Khalifa, 23 years AH. After him was Uthman who passed away. He passed away in the year 656, which was 35 after Hijrah. Then it was Ali anh, who passed away in the year 661, which was 40 years after Hijrah. Then it was Muawiyah who took leadership, and he took the leadership, I'm going to put this in, all in, hopefully I will, till the year 680. That's when Ma'awiyah passed away And just after that, you see 681 was the battle of This battle we're going to be talking about today of Karbala So that gives you an idea of what's happening here The reason I put this up is because here is where the problem started At the time of Umar as I said, the Khilafah was growing It was expanding, it was a Khilafah that was going for a lot of land And it covered a hell of a lot of land over that period but then during the time of Uthman, uh, during the time of Uthman here, this is where a lot of the problems started. Okay? Here is where the problems started. That's where the fitna kind of started. People started obviously accusing Uthman of all sorts of things. Because as we know, Omar was assassinated, Uthman was assassinated, Ali was assassinated. So if the four qualified Rashidin, three were assassinated for various reasons. Omar was assassinated because killed, the killer was, wanted revenge because of his father's death. Uthman was assassinated because they didn't want Uthman to be a leader anymore. They wanted to change him. And he was, we know the story, and if you know the story of Uthman, how he was killed, it's quite treacherous and how he was killed. He was at home reading Quran, and the people of Fitna, they, they, they jumped the wall, they came over, and here's Uthman, very old at this age as well, he's probably in his 70s, 72, some people say and they kicked the Qur'an out of his hand and he butchered them. And then afterwards, as we know, the body laid there for a number of days before anybody could touch it in Uthman. And then obviously afterwards, Ali became the Khalifa. Now how, how did Ali become the Khalifa? That's where it's a bit of a debate in regards to was he forced or was he not? Because the people of Fitnah were worried because after the death of Uthman, there was going to be some problems. Why? The biggest problem or the biggest fear that they had was of this man, Muawiyah Because he was the governor of Syria at the time Now Syria was a stronghold Because why? What's after Syria is the Byzantine Empire So Muawiyah had to be really strong there because the Byzantine Empire were always Trying to infiltrate within the Muslim lands, trying to get back the lands that they lost to the Muslims So Muawiyah had to stay, had to keep really good control of that area now under the khilafahs, the different khalifahs, so for example at the time of Omar, um, he changed the governors who Abu Bakr appointed. Uthman, he changed the governors again. Ali, he changed the governors again. So the different regions, we know there was about 7 or 8 different regions. And that was a common thing, the, Khali- the, 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 the khalifahs used to change the governors of the different states. But none of them, except later... Abu Bakr didn't nor did Omar and nor did Uthman change the, the governor of Syria who was Muawiyah radiallahu anh, because he knew his quality who is Muawiyah we've got to touch on that as well Muawiyah is the brother-in-law of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu his sister is married to the Prophet peace be upon him his father what's his name his name is Muawiyah Ibn Abi Sufyan his father is Abu Sufyan you know the story of Abu Sufyan. Radiallahu His mother was Hind, who was a woman who wanted the death of Hamza. Radiallahu but we know that later on, after the Fatih Makkah, Makkah opened, they became Muslim. Ma'awiyah actually became Muslim before that. It be said that Ma'awiyah became Muslim at the, at the, the uh, Hilf al-Hudaybiyah, the contract of hudaybiyah but he kept it secret. He didn't tell anybody, he didn't tell his own parents about it because they were still non-Muslims. So he was worried that I'm not going to tell anybody. But he secretly told the Prophet when he went out to see him there. Um, but he had to go back to Mecca. He couldn't go to Medina obviously because then that would have been totally chaos in Mecca. So Ma'Awiya kept his Islam secret, but he was he was that. And the Prophet liked Ma'abriya because of his leadership qualities. Sometimes what would happen when it was time for a campaign in Medina, when Ma'Wi eventually came. He would sometimes go to Ma'awiyah over and above um- Umar and Abu Bakr to get advice regards to certain campaigns. That's how strong Ma'awiyah was, ...radiyallahu anhu. And we shouldn't have anything. And here I've got to stress: we shouldn't say anything bad, or ill, of any of the companions, ...radiyallahu anhum. Those people who saw the Prophet, peace be upon him. What can you say about them? In fact, how dare we say anything about them? There's people out there within our community. Who say certain things about certain companions who have no right to do it? Who are you, or who are I, or any one of us, to say anything in regards to the companions, peace be upon them all? They did what they did, and they are who they are. Yes, we're going to be talking about some of the other issues that happened, but that was whatever because of the reasons that they know best. But for us, they are—they are the companions of the Prophet sallallahu wa They are the best generation. There's no generation better than the generation of the companions, peace be upon them all. So during this, um, during, this, during this leadership, as I said, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the problems started at the time of Uthman. And here, a couple of important events. Just after the death of Uthman, is something called the Battle of the Camel. This is between who? This is between Ali and Aisha radiallahu anha. Because obviously this was the point of where they wanted the revenge The blood of Uthman They wanted the people who killed Uthman But the people who killed Uthman had infiltrated into Ali's army So it was very difficult Ali, both, both were in a very 22 catch situation So was Ali and so was Aisha radiallahu anha Because there were great companions on both sides Some of the greatest companions like for example um, uh, Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anha you know, the, one of the first people, whose mother is the first person who died in the way of Islam, Sumayyah. So in this situation, it was very, very difficult, but nevertheless, unfortunately, there was a campaign where they did fight. And I would recommend people to read about this. Don't just take my word. Read. It's important that you guys read this stuff up. I mean, the, the, for example, this battle was between... Aisha had 20,000 people. Ali had 13,000 people in this battle. Not a small battle. That was a big one. And then there was another battle which was of importance that so comes a wee bit later is the battle of This is all the small jumble The battle of Siffin. And this was a battle between, again, Ali But this time, Muawiyah <coughs> radiallahu anhu. Because after, um, after the, the death of Osman, obviously Ali became Khalifa He had changed all his governors And all his governors gave oath to Ali Some of them did, some of them didn't But Muawiyah did not give oath to Ali Because he was still seeking the revenge of Uthman Why? Because uh, uh, Mu'awi is from the same family of Uthman And when Uthman radiallahu anhu passed away The same shirt that he was wearing wearing when he got butchered You can imagine the state of it It was stained, it was bloodied His wife um, uh, um, Halima radiallahu anhu Not Halima, sorry don't The wife of Uthman sent that garment to Ma'awiyah in Syria. She said, this is the proof of Uthman's death. Reve- take, re- take, not revenge, but find and seek justice for this. And what did Ma'awiyah do with that shirt? He hung it in the main mosque in Damascus. So every single day, people used to see this. And you can imagine, obviously, it's that kind of thing where you see something so terrible... You've not, you're not there, but you can imagine the the atmosphere and the hate people are growing that, you know, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. So all all that time they've got in their heads that we've got to get the revenge or we've got to find the people who, who killed Usman, radiallahu and So that was what was going through their head. So that's the kind of build up. So you can see the tension grew right away near the end of Usman's life. <clears throat> tension really, really grew a lot. After Uthman... During Ali, Ali's Khilafah... Anh, the same thing... Tension really really grew... And it was very very difficult... To find any, any form of stability... In the Islamic world... Because of the state that it was in... Now when... Um, when Ali... Um, passed away as we said... Hassan his grandson... His son... Took Khilaf for six months... But Hassan got advice from his father... Before he passed away... Because one of the things... That when his father was dying... Ali... He didn't die immediately... As you know, on that day, the, the, the people of Fitna sent out three assassins. One after Ali, one after Muawiyah, and one after um, Ammar ibn, uh, uh, Amr, uh, uh, Amr ibn As in, in Egypt. They sent three different assassins to kill these three different um, uh, governors at the same time. That's what. They, so they wanted absolute chaos in the Muslim world. Two were successful. Uh, sorry, one was successful, two weren't. The killer of Ali got him, but he didn't kill He didn't kill him, because what had happened, like the time of Omar, if you remember how he got killed. He used a sword, but what did he do? He tipped it with poison. So the same with Ali. He didn't get cut from, you know, his wounds weren't bad, but because of the poison went in his blood, obviously he had only a few days to live after that. And when he knew that, he gathered his children together. Hassan and Hussein, and also his other children from his other wives, because after Fatima passed away, he married again. So he had a number of other children, he gathered them all together to give them advice. And he said, Don't spread bloodshed. Kept repeating that, do not spread bloodshed. Because he saw it. He saw it in two battles, in the Battle of the Camel and the Battle of Safin. He saw that. And somebody asked, Should we say Hassan to go to be, to, be the, uh, uh, to be the Khalifa? He said, I'm not telling you to do it, I'm not telling you not to do it. That's for you to decide, in other words. After Ali Radiallahu An who passed away, as he said, as we said, the Hassan became Khalifa for six months. But then he saw how difficult it was and he pulled back and he says gave it to radiyallahu an. So muawiyah became Khalifa of the Islamic world, and that's the start of the Umayyad Empire from there on. And after Ma'awiyah had passed away, as we know, he passes Khilafah onto his son Yazid ibn Maawiyah, which was where the problem started. Because Yazid was not anything like his father. Not at all. He was quite the opposite. He was a tyrant. He was a dictator. He was a, he was a, a, a very unjust leader. A very unjust leader. So at this time, what had happened now, was that now that Yazid is the, 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 the Khalifa, he was going around sending his people to the different empires around the world, the Muslim empires, and to the Hijaz, meaning to Mecca and Medina, to get people to say their oath and give bayah to his khilafah. But many people refused. They couldn't stomach the idea of this dictator and this unjust. Didn't pray. He didn't pray. He, he drank alcohol in the open it said. He didn't do any of these things and he was khilifa. Then what had happened was that when he asked for khilafah. Um, many of the companions refused to do that. Amongst them as we know is Abdullah ibn Abbas. Abdullah ibn Umar Abdullah ibn Zubair These guys are They are now like the Abu Bakr And the Umar of this time now They are the great companions now Because they were the kids around the Prophet Ibn Abbas was a child Ibn Umar was a child Ibn Zubair was a child And these people Some of these guys Lived in the house of the Prophet Peace be upon him But now they are older They are much older And these are like They are the godfathers of the companions To say the least Good impression, but you get the idea. They were they were the top guys amongst the companions. So if they said anything, it had weight. So when they said no, to Yazid, you can imagine Yazid was like, right, okay, we've got to deal with this one. We've got to deal with this one. Now Yazid is still in um, Damascus. Remember, he's in the west. He's in Damascus. What happened is that Ali. Uh, uh, Imam Hussein radiallahu anhu started getting letters from the east, from Iraq, from Kufa. Hundreds and thousands of letters sent to him saying, "Come and we'll support you. Come and we'll support you. We'll start something here and we'll support you and we'll get you into Kufa. We'll get we'll be, make you the leader. Come to Kufa. Come to Kufa." Hussein he knew that Kufa was the place where his father, as you know, Ali radiallahu anhu, moved the capital from Medina to Kufa. That's where he moved it to. So he had a lot of support. His father did Ali radiallahu An. So Hussein thought... Mm-hmm. Radiallahu thought, okay... If there's a lot of support there... I can go out there. And all these letters are coming in... You know... Coming in to, to, to ask me to come along... And, and we'll start... We'll do our campaign or whatever. He thought, yeah, okay. But he said, look... I'm going to send my cousin first... Just to make sure that it's alright. So he sent his cousin... Muslim Ibn Aqeel, his name is. He sent him ahead and he said... Look, go find out if this is really true. These thousands of letters have been getting sent... Check if it's really, really true, and he did. He went out there, and when Muslim Ibn Aqir went out there, um, he saw or he gathered together approximately over the time that he was there, about eighteen thousand supporters. It started with twelve thousand and went up to eighteen thousand thousand supporters of Husma, uh, of Hussein And at that, obviously, that was you know he was you know Hus- uh, um, uh, Ibn Aqir Muslim Ibn Akid was so happy. So he sent a letter back to Imam Hussein saying look come we've got great support here fantastic support here, come, come but what happened was that um, uh, uh, Yazid he thought something was going on here, but bit suspicious so what he did in Kofa he changed the governor of Kofa the governor of Kofa before was a guy by the name of Notman Ibn Bashir, a companion of the Prophet, peace upon him, a good man he changed them to Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad. Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad was like Yazid, a tyrant, bad guy. And he says, look, you need to kinda bring the fist down, make sure everything's under control in your area. And that's what he did. I said Imam Hussain anh, was getting um, lots of letters from um, Kofa for support to come into come come to Kufa. Um, thousands of letters and as we said he sent his cousin um, Muslim ibn Aqil to check out what's going on and Muslim ibn Aqil is also he's cousin of Imam Hussein, that means he's also from the family of the Prophet peace <laughs> as well. he's from the family of the Prophet so true enough Muslim ibn Aqil went and as we said he gathered people where there were supporters and um, began with 12,000 supporters and it increased to 18,000 supporters of uh, Imam Hussein. In, in Kofa. And always in excitement, uh, Muslim ibn Aqayr wrote a letter back to his cousin saying, Yet come, it's great support, we can do something here. Um, so his family, he decided to go. Now uh, Imam Hussein decided to take his family with him, not an army, not just guys or something, uh, you know, anything like that. He took his family with him because that's how secure and safe he thought he would be in regards to travelling to Kofa because he thought all this support you know it looks like I can settle like my father's in Kofa I can settle there so now I'm taking my family too now some of the Sahaba started gathering and they said look I know the support but going to that part of the world is a very different part of the world Hijaz is different that's where he grew up and that's where the Sahaba knew but that part of the world was very volatile to say the least because that's where all, as we said, the Battle of Safin, the Battle of the Camel, took place all over in that area, that region. So it was quite... Although support there wasn't really 100%, it was still a bit unstable. So some of the great companions, like Abdullah ibn Abbas, says, look, I'm not sure. You know, your father, although he had support there, you know, he, he, he told me about some of the issues going on there. I Meaning Ali radiallahu, he informed Abdullah ibn Abbas. Um, Abdullah ibn Umar said, if you're going then farewell, knowing that he wasn't going to come back, either he settles there or God forbid something else is going to happen, because these guys are older, they're wiser, they've been through campaigns and battles and wars and stuff like that, they know what's going on, so they're giving a, a, Imam Hussein advice, don't go, don't go, but he was like, you know, no, I need to go, my cousin's saying it's great, I can go, I can take my family and taking my family showing that I'm not going for war, I'm not going for a battle, I'm not going to fight, I'm going there to settle, I'm going there is, is, is to settle into Kofa. Um And at this time it says that Imam Hussain was approximately 55 years old. So when we think of Imam Hussain, he's no longer a youth. right? Because we think of Imam Hussain, grandsons of the Prophet, young guys, they're 55 years old, mashallah. So he's much older, he's got his own family, possible grandchildren or whatever. So um, he goes and uh, as I said, by this time, the new governor that... Uh, uh, Yazida points as, as I said his name is Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad very ruthless man. he was also in the Battle of Siffin, and he was in the side of Ali an. so that 's where as I said, the army of Ali was very unstable that 's where the people of Fitnah were they infiltrated into the army of ali so this guy uh, Ubaidullah, wasn't you know wasn 't you know a very nice man so um, he he became the, the governor and so one day what he did just to see what was going on and get a flavour of what's happening in the city, he decides to go into Gofa himself, in the streets of Gofa, And what he does, he goes in um, and, um, you know how they wear a turban traditionally? They don't wear that red tea cloth anymore, they, wear, they used to wear a turban. So when he used to wear the turban, what had happened, he covered his face. He covered his face as well. So you can imagine the, sort of, the tail of the tur- turban. He covered his face as well, so all you could see was his eyes. And he got about twelve or fifteen of his guys with him, a kind of entourage, with him, to see what was happening. So that's what he did, and he started going through the streets of Kofa. Now, this the people of Kofa thought, this is Imam Hussein, he's arrived, entourage, keeping a low profile. This is Imam Hussein, and they all started going up, greeting, "Yeah, Imam Hussein, Saddam welcome to Kofa, this, that, another." And he is obviously. Blood's boiling. He's raging. What the heck's going on here? So it's clearly Imam Hussein is on his way to Kufa because these guys are ready to welcome him, and that's what happened. So he 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 finds out that he, uh, that thing is coming, and he finds out about Muslim ibn Aqeel. He said, "Where is this Muslim ibn Aqeel? His scout, his cousin, an." And then what happened was that um, Muslim ibn Aqeel was staying up with a, with a man whose name was Hani ibn Urwa. He, he stayed with him in Kofa. He was a friend of uh, uh, Musa ibn Aqeel. And when they went to the house of Hani ibn Ur- Urwa, uh, uh, um, uh, Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad, he, the governor of Kofa, he sent an army, not two or three, he sent an army to that house to capture um, uh, uh, um, Muslim, Muslim ibn Aqeel. And when he got there, or when the army got there, Musa ibn Aqeel wasn't there. Uh, it was just Hani ibn Urwa, So they captured him and they took him. And they started obviously punishing him, asking, where is your cousin, where is he? He said, look, I've got no idea. He's he's in Kofa, but I've no idea. So eventually, obviously, uh, Musa ibn Akhir finds out that they're after him. The authorities are after him. So he tries to dodge the authorities. And by dodging the authorities, obviously, he was keeping an extreme low profile. Not speaking to anyone, staying away from people. And I came to a point in the evening where he was really thirsty. And he wasn't sure where to go. He knocked on the door. An old lady opened the door. And he says, look, is there there water for a guest? And being an old lady, she was nice. As old ladies are. She was nice. She let them in. She she let him in. And after a few words, he started saying, you know, I'm who I am. I'm Musa ibn Akhir. And she was so happy because Musa ibn Akhir is from the family of the Prophet. She was like, I have someone from the family of the Prophet, peace be upon him, in my house. Wow. What an honour. What an honour. And she says, wait till my son comes. I want to you know, let him know the good news, this, that and the other. And true enough, the son comes. She tells him, this is a Muslim Nakhir. He's from the family of the Prophet. Got a guest as such in the house. But his son was a wee bit different. Because he was thinking, in the morning, I'm going to the palaces of Zayad and I'm going to get my money. Because there's reward money on this guy. So true enough, in the morning, he did. He went to um, the palaces of uh, Allah ibn Ziyad informed them and again Ubaidullah sent an army to collect them and they did. They took Muslim ibn Akir, they took Hani ibn Orwa and then the next day they killed them. They decapitated them. took their heads off. And But this was the most merciful day of the year which is Yom Arafah. The ninth day of Dhul Hijjah was the day that um, Ubaydullah ibn Ziyad killed these two young men <laughs> you think maybe take a few days or something but on the day of Arafah, the very day that's the most merciful day of the year this is the day that, um, that uh, Ubaydullah ibn Ziyad decides to um, uh, kill these two people but obviously just before he died, Muslim ibn Naki sent another letter to Imam Hussein saying don't come, things have changed because, as I said, what happened on that day or, or on that time when Hani ibn Urwa was caught, Musa ibn Akir got supporters to say, Let's go to Obey the law, straight to Obey the law, and get him, get him to kind of compromise and give us back Hani ibn Urwa. This is when he had his support. But it said in the morning he started with 4,000 people. By the afternoon he had 400 people. By Maghrib time he had 30 people. In his Maghrib prayer he had 10. When he finishes mug repair, no one was behind him. That's why he went into hiding. He had no support left. There was nobody left to support Musa ibn Nabi, hence no one to support Imam Hussein, And that's when he had to write to Imam Hussein. But you can imagine back then to send a message it would take a wee bit of time. By that time, Imam Hussein had left. He'd left already because as the ninth of ninth uh, of the ninth Hij- uh, the ninth of uh, Dhuhr Hijjah, he'd left the beginning of that month, so he didn't get the letter. He didn't get the letter at all. He was already on his way to Kufa. So when that happened, obviously, um, uh, uh, as we said, that um, Ubaidullah was ready to receive him, to Imam Hussein And what had happened then was um, on his way, on his way to to to, to Kufa they stopped and obviously that's when uh, they realized that the army of uh, um al ibn Ziyad is coming towards them now this is an arm. this is a family of- family She emphasize of 72 people men women and children in this congregation that Imam Hussein is taken to, to Kufa and at that when the news came that an army was coming to Imam Hussein you thought what can we do now these guys are after us, these guys are gonna kill us, there's no doubt about it. So at that um uh, Imam Hussein decides two, three things, either he goes back to Medina or he goes to one of the campaigns that are fighting Fisa because as we know the lands are still expanding. So he can go further further east into Persia, you know, proper Persia and go further and fight in one of the campaigns and inshallah be Shaheed there. Or he can go to Yazid himself, Ma'awiyah, meaning go back to Damascus. All the way back to Damascus and speak to himself. Instead of dealing with this guy. But now that the army had came, the army had basically taken over and there was no way out for them. All the roads were closed because now Ubaidullah had closed all the roads to the, to, from, from them to get out or to make any move. To go back or to go forward or to go anywhere. They were out. And this place is called... Karbala. Karb wa bala is the, which means, what does Karb mean? Karb is a disaster, or it's not even a disaster, a crisis. And bala is a test. It's a place of crisis and a place of test. That's what this is really, the word is, Karbala. And that's the place they stopped. And obviously here now, not knowing what's going to happen, um, uh, Obaidullah cut off the water supplies any supplies they took over the wells and everything nearby and there was no way for them to get any water and here in this again are families <coughs> women and children in this fam- in this group so after a few days you can imagine the children you can imagine the women they're getting very thirsty it's a desert it's not easy they're in this difficulty and uh, Obaidullah is watching all this or, or his army is watching this so what happens is that um, Obedullah sends one of his people he says look you need to go and finish the job off now I think that's enough let's, let's just get over and done with and do what we have to do. So he sent an army he sent an army first of all with a man by the name of Hur ibn Yazid Hur ibn Yazid was one of the commanders in his army now Hur ibn Yazid was not like the other commanders he wasn't a dictator he was, he was a fair man he was an honest man when he went um, to, to, to face uh, Imam Hussain He said to him um, He said to him, don't make, me te- don't make Allah test me With the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi He knew the status of the family of the Prophet Sallallahu So he's in a catch 22 situation He's got his Amir telling him, you need to do what you need to do And he's got Imam Hussain in front of him What do you do in that situation? And he says, "Don't, don't make Allah test me with the family of the Prophet Sallallahu because he loved them, but yet his commander, his leader, was someone else." And what does Imam Hussein say? He said, "May your mother be bereaved of you." And what does al say? He said, "If it was anyone else, anyone else, I would have said something back to you about your mother, but who's your mother? It's Fatima, the Prophet Sallallahu that's who it is how how can anyone say anything bad or horrible to to her so he, he just stopped he couldn't he couldn't do anything he would just I said I can't do anything can't do anything for who he is I can't do anything so what happened, Yazid sent someone else, he said, the clearly, I mean, uh, Ubaidullah sent someone else, he said, clearly you, you can't do the job, so he sent someone else, and when he sent him, his name is Umar ibn Sa'd, he said, you go, he says, no, I don't want to be in that situation either, and he goes, if you don't go, all this land that I've given you, as he's the governor, I'll take it back. And I'm going to send with you another person by the name, Zimmer ibn Josh, which we'll find out more about him. And he was a ruthless man. He was jumping at the joy. He went and he took his army. They took an army for approximately 5,000 people. So here we have an army of 5,000 people against 72 people, 72 men, women and children. It's not a war. It's not a campaign. It's not a battle. That's a massacre ready to happen, obviously. That's what that was. So, at that, what happened is we said the water supplies had closed off, and um, Imam Hussain tried to get the water, sent one of his cousins to get the water, but they didn't. He didn't. They killed him when he went to the wells. And they were waiting for him. The way they did it is that they, they, they knew, obviously, they were going to come to the water at some point or another. So they hid. And they ambushed them. Once he got to the well, filled up the, filled up whatever it was, the vessels, that's when they ambushed them. That's how ruthless these people were. He was thinking he was almost home with this water, and Hamda got the water and everything else. They were so ruthless, they ambushed him and took the water from him and killed him. So obviously this there was no there was nothing else that could happen. Nothing else they could do. They were totally it was all over. So this situation, Imam Hussein says to his family, go home. They only want one person. They only want me. You guys go home. There's no need for you. He said to Muslim ibn Aqeel's family, who was there too, he said, you've done your sacrifice. You've lost your father, your husband, your brother, whoever it may be. You've lost him. You guys go. He told everyone to leave. And he said, how can we go back to Medina? How can we leave our master? How can we leave you, Ya yeah, Imam Hussein?'" We are with you. We can't leave you. What will people say that you've left your master, you've left Imam Hussein on his own? So they stayed. They remained behind. But Imam Hussein made dua that, he made dua that, you know, that Allah make it easy, that one of the du'as that he said was, uh, or he, he mentioned to the people, to, to sort of keep them going, he says, know Allah in the ease, and Allah will know you in the hardship. Know Allah in the ease And Allah will know you in the hardship Know Allah in the ease And Allah will know you in the hardship It's a message for all of us in that And these are the lessons That we should be taking in that situation What what was going through them In that situation that's what he was saying So then obviously the People said no we're not going back to Medina No way We're staying with you Ya Imam Hussain We're staying with you and Imam Hussein knew that this was, you know, there's nothing much they could do. The army's ready to attack. It's just a few men in the... Uh, whatever number of men in the army, that's it. And it said that a number of young people went out. The first person that went was Ali Al-Akbar, the oldest son of Imam Hussein. He was the first person that went out to face the army. And as soon as he went out, they cut his arms off. And he... The, the the the, the they cut him badly and imam Hussein went over crying and he said to him he said to his oldest son that your grandfather will be a witness for you meaning the Prophet peace be upon him the their great grandfather you could say will be a witness for them then after that four other cousins of Imam Hussein went out the the, the son of Imam Hassan whose name was Qasim a very handsome young man he went out and he was struck and he called upon his uncle to come and help him. But he says, on this day I can't do anything. But tomorrow will be your day. This is the, he's, he's helpless, he can't do anything. But tomorrow when this is over, or when this is done, meaning when you leave this world, everything will be waiting for you in the hereafter. Because remember, they're standing up up against a tyrant leader. And that's the highest form of jihad. So although it is very very... Difficult sometimes to read this, but however, we know that they're a bodice paradise because no doubt what they're doing is to stand up against an oppressed leader. And another situation that um, Imam Hussain himself, he goes out and fights. And he fights and fights and fights as much as he possibly can. And the women, they, they didn't touch the women or the children. And they were in their tents and they could watch this battle going on, this fighting going on. And it came to a point where Imam Hussain got near a river to get some water and when he went down to get the water somebody kicked him and he fell and then they pushed him back to not get any water and then he said to them that you know you're stopping me from getting water from this dunya my grandfather will stop you from the water of the hold. what do you want? you know if you're stopping me in this world from this water that you're getting me to reach my grandfather will stop you from the hold, the gother. The place where the, he will give water to those who he, he 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 loves, and then it carries on, and the bru- the, the barbarity continues until Imam um, Imam Hussein returns to his uh, as he's going back to his tent, he shouts Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar three times, and somebody asks him, what was it? What do you see? He goes, I see an angel as a rider on a horse, and um, death awaits me. He knew this was the end. He said, "Death awaits me. I know this is my end." He knew it. This was it. And again, that's the time he went out again to fight. And when he came back again, the second time to his tent, he had a young son, six months, seven months old, by the name of Abdullah. And he held his son. And he went out to the tent. Went out of the tent, and he says, "Look, at least let the baby have some water." and these guys are that ruthless that someone threw an arrow fired an arrow and killed Abdullah in the hands of Imam Hussein radiallahu a 6 month baby in the hands of Imam Hussein that's how ruthless these guys were and uh, uh, Imam Imam Hussein out, Allahumma sabirna ala al-qada Allahumma ala al-qada Allahumma ala al-qada which means O oh Allah give us patience on your decree give us patience on your decree this was going to happen. This is something that Allah ordained was going to happen. So for them, as we said, that Imam Hussein here couldn't do anything. His, his baby child was being killed, and at that, obviously, Imam Hussein went back in again to fight. This time, they got him. You know, the really, they really did some horrible things. When they got Imam Hussain, they slayed him to the ground. It says there was no less than 60 stab wounds to the body of Imam Hussain. 60 stab wounds to the body of Imam Hussein. So it came to a point where he just, he just fell to the ground and he couldn't do anything else. So some of the people, the sort of... The people, Shum, 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 uh, Zimr ibn Josh was one of the people who came down off his horse. And when he came down to Imam Hussein's body... This is where he put his knee on his chest and took his head off. (coughs) He took the head off Imam Hussain and after he took the head off Imam Hussain he ordered the horses to trample over the bodies of all those who had passed away. (coughs) To the point where after they trampled over the bodies they beheaded everybody and put all their heads in a pole and stuck them up in the air, proving that they had been victorious. Um Shumar ibn Josh he took the head of the Imam Hussain and he took it to um Kufa to obey ibn Ziyad, the governor of Kufa. And when he took it to Kufa, um, when he took it to Kufa it was it was a case of whereby he when he squat the head, he started beating it with a stick. Um and he beat it he was beating the head with a stick, beating the head with a stick, and um to the point of beat the lips the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And believe it or not, one of the companions was watching this, who was in Kofana who was in his 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 um his um <coughs> army. And that was Zaid ibn Arqam, the very man. Who owned Dar al Arkum, the house where the Prophet sallallahu hid for three years? As we know, Islam was hidden for three years before it went public. In the three years it was hidden, it was in the house of this very man, Zayd ibn Arkham. He's very old, so when he saw, he didn't know what was going on. He saw this commotion and he came in, and he saw that Imam Hussein in this guy, Yazid, is beaten, uh, uh, beaten. Hubeidullah ibn Ziyad is beating the the, the face of uh, Imam Hussein, and he screams, he shouts, he says stop لَقَدْ وَاللَّهِ رَأَيْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمْ He said by Allah I saw the two lips of the Prophet on these two lips the ones that he was beaten how could you? the hand of the Prophet you know the Prophet used to always brush their hair and kiss them and hold them and kiss their stomach and we know the stories, you know when they used to pray the Prophet, they used to climb on the Prophet's back and he would stay in sajda until they got off, not that he pushed them off, until they got off and some of the Sahaba used to pray behind thinking what's going on here? but this is the treatment of Imam Hussain radiallahu an so yeah, uh, um the turns around and says, "Look, old man, just shut up. Your time is coming soon, anyway." He was so old that there's no point in doing anything to this man. He's like, "You crazy old man, just quiet." That's what that's what they did, and at that as well, we know that um, afterwards they let the women go and children go of Imam Hussein, and the children of Imam Hussein, radiAllahu an. Afterwards, when they returned back to Medina. Obviously, we know that they told the story to the various companions, uh, various tabi'een who were there, radiyallahu anhum, about this particular event. The women were just, they were just, they couldn't speak. They were, they were speechless when they returned back to Medina for what they saw because of the, the, the severity of this particular campaign that uh, uh, Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad did. But again, it's that whole thing about, you know, what lessons do we take from this? It's a story in that it happened, it occurred in a very, very, very sad story in our history. But one that we, 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 we know that happened and one that we you know, hear so much about. But inshallah, hopefully that's put it in some perspective in what happened on that particular day. And you know no doubt, as I said, the, the family of the Prophet, Sallallahu beloved to us. There's no doubt. There's no shadow of a doubt. In the Quran, it's mentioned about the love of the Prophet, peace of his family. We know from the Hadith, the sayings of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that he said um, about teaching your children three qualities: teach them the love of the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi teach them the love of the family of the Prophet, peace be upon him; and teach them the recitation of the Quran. That we should never hesitate about that. Some people say, you know, for example, uh, Imam Shafi'i, radiAllahu an, he loved the family of the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We know who Imam Shafi'i is; great scholar of of the school of of the Shafi'i fiqh. And people thought, you know, sometimes he would talk so much about the family, people thought he was of um, a a Shia background or whatever else people say. But he wasn't, he just had absolute love for the family, the Prophet, peace be upon him. If you read the story about Fatima before she passed away, that story brings you to tears. You think this story brings you to tears? Have a Listen to the story of Fatima, radiAllahu anha, before she passed away. Phenomenal story. Phenomenal story in what she did and that's their children, and you can see that in the example that they had, Imam Hassan and Imam Hussein, both of them, um, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa that hopefully, you know, no doubt that makes us amongst those people that we see these young men, and we are with these young men in the hereafter, inshallah. Jazakallah khair for listening, any mistakes that I've made do forgive me, um, but again as I said, go out and find out more about it, read about it, that just gives you, it's in a nutshell, and I've probably missed bits and pieces out, because it's a very touching story, to say the least, um, but do find out more about it, inshallah, and, um, you know, yeah, if you have any questions, I'm not going to, will try to answer them if you have any, if not, then inshallah we'll finish there, like that.